Hello and welcome to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine and this week I'm joined by... Brendan Sinclair. Okay, so there's a bunch of news this week and we're going to talk about the difficulty debate around Sekiro Shadows Die Twice and Activision Blizzard's super creepy uh, monitoring of its employees' use of health tracking apps. Um, But just to kind of quickly recap some of the other stuff, uh, Valve has finally started to uh, address review bombing. It, It... uh, implemented its policy of, of setting aside the the review bombed period for for Borderlands one and two because people were protesting Borderlands three's Epic Game Store exclusivity by downvoting Borderlands one and two, which seems like a really strange way to get them to want to bring the next game back to the storefront that review bombs them. Um, Google Play has uh, come under a bit of criticism from uh, Wired for letting. Games hit the store with uh, all ages ratings on them, even though they're full of violence and gambling mechanics and gore and other kind of stuff, because their rating system is entirely dependent on the IARC, which is just a questionnaire asking people, is your game okay for kids? And then all a developer has to do is say, yes, it is. And then it launches with that rating, which seems like it might not be great. Uh, PSN users can now change their username, finally, after years of requests for this. And the first change is free, but it might break half the games that you own. So, I don't know, name changer beware? Uh, YouTube is the latest to get in the uh, choose-your-own-adventure game uh, with a Bandersnatch-inspired interactive narrative unit that they are starting up. Uh, I'll see how that goes. And Tencent has stealth launched an international version of the Wii game Storefront because we just love talking about storefronts so very much. So let's actually start with the Google Play story. Uh, You said that uh, Wired found a whole bunch of games on the Google Play store that had all ages ratings but had a bunch of not all ages content. Um, I mean, this is interesting for a number of reasons. I found it interesting in light of the fact that Google... This is not the first time Google Play has had some issues with content on its store in recent months. Uh, Back in November of last year, they removed a whole bunch of racing games that were installing malware onto devices. And then in September, they removed a whole bunch of games that had uh, kid-friendly ratings on them. But they were collecting demographic information and selling it to third parties. So none of, none of that is the exact same thing as what's happening here. But I think it's interesting that this is, you know, like the third or fourth time in the last like six months or so that Google Play has had issues with content on its store, either failing to meet certain requirements or breaking the law in some way or otherwise being problematic. And it seems that maybe their monitoring of what goes on their store is not super fantastic. Yeah, it's all, it's all the same, like, different facets of the same core issue, which is that um, it's an open storefront with very little in the way of controls before something actually goes live on the storefront. And I understand that there are an overwhelming number of, of apps that want to be on the storefront, but... I really think like we're we're kind of realizing just how uh, difficult it is to. I think we're realizing just what a big problem that is to take that hands-off approach and to just sort of like punt on your responsibility to keep your storefront 
you know, free from malware, free from scams, free from, you know, uh, mislabeled, misrated games. Like, you, you got to be a little more hands-on than that. Yeah, some of these I thought that the examples in the piece that you wrote were kind of fascinating. There's a game that is just called Guns, and it's a firing range simulator, and it had a, like, what, Peggy 3 rating? Like, it's just called yeah, Guns. How how do you miss that? Well, the the defense for them uh, from, from the Wired article was, was that it... Um, there wasn't any gore. It was just, here's realistic simulations of firearms, which was not really uh, against the, you know, the, the standards of the store. I mean, like, the NRA has a children's mascot that, you know, gives gun safety lessons and stuff. And if that's okay, if kids being able to fire guns is, like, totally okay in the real world, then I guess, you know, a, a game that would let them do it in a shooting range setting is also like uh, sure but here's the maybe? thing like I it apparently it's, it's creepy it apparently yes. let them <laughs> the use they, it let them use photos from their camera roll as shooting targets so my thought is the game is just called <laughs> guns that should at least raise an eyebrow to the point where you maybe we should look and make sure that the guns aren't being used for anything that three-year-olds maybe shouldn't be thinking about guns in the context of like i, yeah, I just I, it, it's kind of it kind of ties into the other conversation that we've been having for a couple of years now about steam and how it's this horrible crowded storefront with all sorts of stuff on it and a lot of it is garbage or horrible or racist and you know moderation and curation and all these things are issues that we feel are important but nobody who is in charge of a, uh, an open storefront like that seems to want to get serious about yeah it's, uh, it's the same thing with youtube twitter facebook you know a anything that's kind of thriving because they just threw open the doors to everything and everyone and said like okay we're we're just a a platform we're a channel you know we are infrastructure like the roads that get you to a store or whatever and we 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 host everything regardless of whether it's good or bad um like that works for a business model but it it really sort of uh takes a shortcut around any questions about like okay well what are you responsible for what is your what is your impact on the world and is it you know are you hurting people through your business so i'm curious though if this is actually going to result if the series of incidents is going to result in some action on google google play's part because steam i mean Say what you like about them. They have a number of things that they can and should be criticized for, but they did, at the very bare minimum, include in the things that they will not allow on the Steam store stuff that's illegal. Uh, Google Play, you know, says they, you know, won't allow illegal content on the store, but we have multiple examples here of, th of points where games that either broke their own standards or in the case of installing malware on people's devices, I assume that's illegal. Like you're not allowed to do that. Um, and in this case, they're violating the rating system, which again, I don't know what kind of repercussions that has, but they're, they're, they're breaking, they're breaking other systems of rules that they claim they're going to follow. Yeah. So I'm wonder, I'm wondering if there is going to be actually like some increased standard. I doubt it. I mean, you know, this this is the company that runs YouTube and 
has comments on videos still. <laughs> so, like, I don't, I don't think that they are all that um, interested in even acknowledging that this is, you know, sort of a structural problem with the platform. So, I think their actions are limited to like, oh, well, that game was clearly misrated. Let's take it off the store, or give it a more appropriate rating. And, uh, you know, addressing symptoms one at a time as the, the press publicizes and embarrasses them for it, rather than uh, addressing the underlying cause of all this. Yeah, it also unfortunately doesn't seem that even though this was probably an embarrassment to them, the International Age Rating Coalition is going to do anything about the fact that their system involves developers filling out a questionnaire about their games that they can lie on, which will then result in a rating. Yeah, and they could. They could do something about it. They could tell Google Play, well, this is, you know, we have uh, copyrights on this system. You can't use it if you're not going to actually you know, give it the, the once over and make sure that this stuff doesn't happen and embarrass us. Like every other platform seems to be able to do it. We don't, you don't have problems of this sort to this degree on the app store. And I don't think there are that many fewer apps launching on Apple's uh, thing on iOS than Android. So it's, it's just a matter of Google not prioritizing it. And the IARC can at least use some of the leverage that it has, however minimal that might be, to try and encourage that. It'll be fun to see what the next thing on Google Play ends up being that is not supposed to be there. So from there, I want to move on to a conversation that we might be a little bit tired of by now. Uh, it's been going on. It's, it's been the Twitter discourse for the last about week and a half or so. Uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice came out and there's been an ongoing debate discussion type thing going on across you know various outlets and across Twitter and other social media platforms about accessibility and how... It was. I think it was originally sparked by people talking about the game needing or them desiring an easy mode in Sekiro so that people who would otherwise enjoy those games but struggled with Sekiro because of, ver of having various disabilities um, would actually be able to play and enjoy the game. Um, and that, you know, got certain people on the internet all riled up and were talking about it uh, compromising the artist's vision and it you know it went on and back and forth and people were being ridiculous and in the end Corey Barlog uh got a war director uh stepped into an online debate where uh somebody was tweeting at him and uh Steven Spohn of Able Gamers and saying making the argument that adding easy modes to games like that would you know hurt hurt the vision of the game and Corey Barlog said to me accessibility does not exist in contradistinction to anyone's creative vision but rather it is an essential aspect of any experience you wish to be enjoyed by the greatest number of humans as possible he said accessibility has never and will never be a compromise to my vision so to be clear, Stephen Spohn did not say that adding easy modes was co was compromising a vision of any kind. He was making a comment on Twitter. Someone else replied to him saying that, and then Corey Barlog joined in to agree with Stephen. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this seems like a great chance for me to talk about arcade games, because I don't need much of an excuse. Um, now, I've, I've mentioned this uh, in, in the group Slack before. Uh, 
to my coworkers, but um, in short, in the early 80s, arcade games, they used to have the buttons, like the action buttons, uh, with the joystick in the middle and the same action buttons on either side of the joystick. And I always assumed that this was a, you know, an accessibility thing. It's for left-handed people or right-handed people, whichever you like. You know, you can you can still play the game, joystick in whichever hand, and you got a button there for the others, and it's it's all good. And and they had this on. Uh, it was pretty standard for if it wasn't a, a driving game with like a gear shifter or something. Uh, Rally X, Xevious, Crystal Castle, Seven Twenty, Dig Dug, just a, a number of arcade panels that I looked up on Google Image Search that 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 confirmed my uh, memory. It was it was pretty standard for Atari games. And if you remember arcades in the 90s, totally was not was not the uh the case. And I think it's kind of um again, this is just sort of like looking at it and thinking kind of Occam's razor style without confirmation. This is the way I interpret it is that as games got uh more complicated control schemes with more buttons, and as multiplayer modes and games stopped being I'll take my turn, then you take your turn, and became more of a simultaneous thing, the, the dashboard on the arcade just became a little crowded to have, you know, two joysticks with two complete sets of buttons on either side of the joystick for every player. And sure enough, when I was looking, one of the, one of the earliest ones uh, from Atari that I saw that diverged from the standard was Gauntlet, which was three buttons a player, four players, and, you know, that's, they weren't going to be cramming, you know, all those extra buttons on, onto the, the arcade cabinet for that. And I, I actually went and tracked down someone that, that worked on the original Gauntlet arcade game and asked him about this. If, if like, this was really just, if this was the specific policy at Atari and this is why it went away. And he couldn't confirm it. He didn't remember it being like a, a big, um, a big point of emphasis for them. And he suggested it was probably multiple reasons. Uh, but like from the outside, my, uh, my take on it was sort of, this is like an example of, um, the industry prioritizing other things over accessibility. Cause we had accessibility with the, the duplicated controls on either side of the joystick. And we looked at it and we kind of thought, you know what, more complex games, more, more people playing at once is, uh, is better because, you know, more people playing at once means more money, more complex games means more interesting games for the people that were already in the arcade business. And, and it's sort of like a compromise for, for money. And that's unfortunate. I mean, I kind of love some of the games that it produced, obviously. I love Street Fighter 2, and that was never going to be accessible in the same way as the old ones. But uh, it's just, I thought it was sort of a um, a reminder that, like, accessibility isn't something that's like a one-time thing that you just sort of bake into, oh, we're doing this now, and that's the way it is going forward. It's, it's something that you sort of have to prioritize and and recommit to regularly if it's something that you're really going to put into your games and it's something that is going to vary from game to game which i think is what you're saying um to go back to the original conversation between uh steven and uh 
uh, Corey and the, the other people on Twitter, um, they, w- they went on, Stephen went on to say that uh, easy, easy mode isn't the answer to accessibility. Slapping an easy mode on something doesn't just ma- automatically make it accessible. Would it be helpful for some people? Certainly. But that isn't just like the, the blanket answer for how to make every game accessible. Uh, there are so many different things that are individual and unique to each title that need to be considered and it requires developers to take some time and put some thought into what their game is, what the pain points people might have with it are, and how they can give people more access to those things. I mean, anything from, I I think the natural evolution of what you're talking about with arcade cabinets is uh, being able to map your controls however you like. So that way, regardless of what your situation is with being able to use whatever controller you have, you can kind of customize it for whatever your needs are. I think I think that's kind of the natural response. And that's that's one of the accessibility options that I honestly think should just be default to absolutely every game out there because it's one of the it's one of the most obvious ones to do and it helps quite a few people, I think. Um, even even people who just even even people who don't necessarily have a need for accessibility can benefit from being able to remap controls. Uh, but there, there are so many other things too. One of the one of the games that was tossed around a lot in the conversation over the last week was Celeste, um, because it was an incredibly challenge. It, it is an incredibly challenging game, absolutely ridiculous, and great for it. But it has this wonderful set of accessibility options where you can go in and you can tune certain things about the game to make it. J- more more accessible to you and more um just just more friendly in general if you're struggling with it and it doesn't it doesn't call it an easy mode it doesn't it doesn't attach this kind of weight to it stigma yeah that you know makes it sound like oh well you're doing the easy mode so you're not you're not you're not doing you're not really playing the game like it, it doesn't do that um and i think that there is definitely this weird conversation around games like dark souls and sekiro where the the fact that it's so difficult is like this weird badge of honor and if you can't hack it then you know you're not you're you're not you're not a real gamer which is which is absolute like nonsense of course nonsense yeah Yeah. um so the I i think a lot of people like hard games uh but i think people can like them for very different reasons and uh, so the way I'm increasingly thinking about it is, um, when I look at a game, I, I think, is the appeal to me in this, for me in this game, is it in overcoming a challenge and doing something that I wasn't sure I could do or something that I, I couldn't do when I first picked up the controller? Um, and if it is, I kind of look at that as like, okay, that's, that's a healthy appeal, uh, for the difficulty or is the appeal in this game in, doing something that others can't do is is the appeal in this game that i am getting uh my entertainment here at the expense of of someone else and that can be in a you know competitive game street fighter or something um and just because like my enter you know a game like street fighter i win the someone else loses the match like that doesn't necessarily mean it's unhealthy it sort of depends on uh what the appeal is for me and what the game is kind of built around as far as that appeal is and i think i think that appeal of of overcoming challenge uh 
is is fine but the the appeal of of you know i'm specifically enjoying this because someone else can't is a lot less health a lot less healthy a lot more insidious and sort of lends itself to kind of a um a more a more negative experience it's the difference in a competition between we had a really good match and i had a lot of fun and i won and i feel great for winning but you played really well and ha ha i won you're terrible at this game you suck yeah and i think it's <laughs> it's very natural for people to have both of those <laughs> and and for for people to kind of you know like you just like winning at street fighter <laughs> Uh, well it doesn't happen very often so it's not an issue um but it's it's kind of uh yeah it's 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 natural to like those things or at least it's super common um and i think it's just it's good every now and then to like sit back and say okay well you know kind of interrogate why it is that you find the the appeal in this that or the other thing and I think I think it definitely, in conclusion, yeah, I, I was just gonna say, I think I think it does go back to kind of a worrisome trend in certain uh, segments of the industry where there there is sort of this idea that it's gaming is an exclusive club and some people are in and some people are out. And that is a terrible attitude to have. Games are for everyone. Um, but I do I, I am hopeful. I know I know the issue. The original issue is Sekiro doesn't really have great accessibility options. That sucks. It should. Um there does seem to be a growing awareness coming back because you were talking about how after, you know, as, as things got more complicated um, with arcade cabinets, you know, they kind of reduced what they were willing to offer people in terms of ways to play. Um, but it, there does seem to be a growing awareness of it, both, especially in the independent developer community, but you know, it growing into a AAA space as well. And it seems to be something more people are thinking about. And I, I know we tend to be cynical about a lot of things in this industry, but I do, I, I am hopeful that accessibility will keep getting better. Yeah. And my, my takeaway here is that, um, I guess, or my conclusion is that not every game needs to be accessible and playable by everybody, but you should really kind of put a bit of thought and effort into making it accessible to as many people as possible because keeping them keeping them away from it for the sake of keeping people away from it is um it's like bad business and it's just sort of petty and spiteful on top of that not every game is going to be enjoyed by everyone but anyone who wants to enjoy that game should be able to it's it's like it is a a you know it is a nuanced discussion i guess which is one of the reasons why i see so many developers on twitter specifically like subtweeting the discussion saying i have thoughts on this but i'm not going to say them out loud um at least not on twitter uh and it's like there there are logical extremes you can take things to that sound absurd so I am inclined to just say, do your best. Yes. To make things accessible. Yes. We should keep trying to be better. Yeah. So the last topic we want to we wanted to look at today was Activision Blizzard uh, paying employees to for health tracking. Um, 
which got pretty dang creepy. Um, <laughs> Activision Blizzard was paying Ovia, um, or they were they were offering a dollar a day, um, as Brendan said earlier, um, in gift cards to employees using this tracking app called Ovia. Um, women can trap all sorts of information about themselves. Um, I assume. I don't. I don't know if it's a if it's just a women's only app. Um, I assume it is because it does like sleep and diet, weight, uh, when they have sex, their mood, uh, all sorts of things about you know pregnancy and reproductive health and all this other information. Um, so they were paying them. They were offering employees a dollar in gift cards a day um, to use that app, and then they were paying Ovia to access some of that data um, and see like the trends in their employees reproductive health which i think sounds horribly dystopian and i've had a lot of people chiming in on twitter telling me oh lots of companies do this this is normal and my response is that's not better yeah yeah it (laughs) seems like there's a a certain disconnect oh you don't don't quite get why this is unsettling to me right and i think one of i mean there are many very disturbing things about that article i think one of the more disturbing ones was uh activision blizzard vp of global benefits uh milt ezard um he's talking to the washington post here uh he was you know trying to explain why they were doing this he was saying that you know they were trying to uh lower uh medical and insurance costs increase productivity they were trying to help their employees out it's all for their own good but his quote was I want them to have a healthy baby because it's great for our business experience rather than having a baby who's in the neonatal ICU where she's not able to focus much on work. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get that baby to focus on work now. Right. We need to we need to get that well, yeah. The the quote or was the a mother. little weird. Or the but yeah, but yeah, we need the we need the mother to come back to work instead of thinking about her baby. We want to have healthy babies because it's good for business. Like, come on, man. Do we want to have healthy babies for any other reasons, maybe? Oh, that's... It's it's just... As far as the company is concerned? Huh? I mean, he's saying the quiet part loud. Right, yeah. Like, like we, all, we all understand that a company is going to be invested in this primarily because of the way it affects the bottom line. Right, of course. But Businesses you... want to make money, and they want to <laughs> save money. That's, like, the whole thing. But you don't... But do you have to be a person with a name saying this stuff you can at least pretend to be a human being and say you know we we care about our employees and want them to have if you know when they when they want to have kids we want them to have healthy experiences we want them to come back to us healthy and happy like that come on yep 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 i i mean Uh. i I think the whole thing is terrifying they're they're trying to offer all and and this may be Maybe this sounds like a little bit conspiracy theory-ish. I don't know. But I just, with the history that this country, I mean, I'm in the U.S., um, has and the world in general has with people in power or people with money or whatever trying to make decisions and get and kind of control women's reproductive health and sex and issues all around that, I am just really inherently mistrustful of any company that is in power over employees trying to mess with their reproductive information or health or decisions in any way that is not a company's business yeah i mean it would be one thing if activision blizzard was just telling employees like hey you know what fitbits are cool tracking your health like this is is good for us so here are some fitbits we're going to encourage the use of this um, but when they like 
collect the information that those that those services and granted Fitbit and Ovia and other health tracking services are collecting this information and doing whatever with it as well. But when when the um, when your employer wants to look at that information as well, instead of just encouraging people to keep basic track of their health, uh, that I I think really sort of raises some some red flags. Right. Um, and and to be clear, I think that is where the line is drawn. Like if they're offering incentives for, hey, use a Fitbit or use Ovia, like like use something to be healthier. Um, get we will pay for your gym membership. Like that's that's kind of in line with those sorts of things. We want healthy, happy employees. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. When they when they start trying to get access to that data, um, especially it, it's especially the thing about them being in a that they're in a position of power. They are the ones offering um, the insurance benefits. They are the ones who are offering maternal or paternal leave. Um, like, I just, I don't like it. And, and the issue, too, is, you know, they're saying, well, it's, it's anonymous data. We don't, there's not names attached to it. We get it in groups. We don't get individual data. But presumably, you have few enough employees that are pregnant at one time that you, you could kind of extrapolate from the information yeah. you're getting and figure things out about individuals or small groups, especially when there's complications. Cause they were talking about, you know, things like premature births and C-sections and stuff like that. I mean, that's depending on, I mean, I don't know how many employees are pregnant at a company like Activision Blizzard at the time, but you know, I assume they're not all giving birth all at the exact same time in all of the same circumstances. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just real freaky. I don't like it. Yeah. Like even if you, even if you trust completely, uh, Activision Blizzard and Ovia and the people there and their intentions uh, about what what's going to happen with this. Uh, there have been so many tech companies that have shown themselves completely, I guess, um, flawed on the security front that that just keeping track of this information with a service or another company adds another sort of a weak point into you know your your personal data and security like uh this is the the washington post noted that uh another ovulation tracking app called glow uh had a security flaw where all someone needed to access a user's information was her email address Ah! And, and with that email address um they could get into all the stuff that she was tracking which would include like how many alcoholic drinks she has a day, uh, when she had sex and in what position, whether she's had an abortion or, or a miscarriage. Like, this is just incredibly sensitive personal information you probably don't want other people having access to. Absolutely not, because you- that, is ap- that is stuff that people... I mean, I'm, I'm not pinning anything on Activision Blizzard specifically, but apparently lots of companies do this kind of thing. That is absolutely stuff that some people will discriminate for, even if not overt. Uh, people have opinions about drinking alcohol and abortion and sex and all sorts of things. And if they know that you have participated in any of these things in a way that they, as a company or as a boss, are not happy about, oh, they will find ways to mess up your life. Yeah. So... I'm not sure how specific this story is to video games, um, but uh, yeah, it is. It is definitely sort of a a look into the way that that these companies are viewing their relationship with their employees, and and 
the the first quote in the in the story that we wrote up from Milt Ezard, the the Activision Blizzard VP, um, talks about how when they first uh, rolled out these programs with Fitbit four years ago, five years ago, um, that each time we the quote is each time we introduced something there was a bit of an outcry you're prying into our lives but we slowly increased the sensitivity of stuff and eventually people understood it's all voluntary there's no gun to your head and we're going to reward you if you choose to do it which which means that people told them hey i have privacy issues i have concerns about what you're doing here their own employees told them this and rather than like take that seriously they kind of just saw it as an inconvenience and figured like, okay, well, maybe if we, maybe if we take this strategy for rolling it out, maybe if we present it in a different way, maybe if we double the gift card offer or whatever, those, those privacy concerns that they have, which we don't really, you know, believe in, uh, will just go away. They'll stop expressing them and that will be good enough for us. And that's really kind of horrifying to me because, you know, when, when your employees tell you this is an issue for me, your first, in, you know, your first instinct shouldn't be, okay, uh, how can we trick you into not thinking it's an issue? I think it's also games industry related. And I mean, it's not just because it's related to Activision Blizzard, though that is kind of the gateway to the games industry here. Um, I, th- I think one, it's a little it's a little interesting that this is not getting more scrutiny because the games industry is, you know, tech. And I would imagine that tech would be more familiar with how data is not secure. Um, Privacy is not a thing. If you give people your information, they will use it and sell it and do all sorts of other things with it. So I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of surprised that as many <laughs> yeah. Um, but but, uh, but the other is... thing yeah the other thing too is it definitely tracks with a lot of other things that we know about working conditions in the games industry, right? Like there is kind of this this growing outcry against working conditions. So it, this this fits nicely into the guise of, oh, we're concerned about your health and your lifestyle and we want to help take care of you and make sure things are good. But under the surface, it's, wow, this could be used for horrible, nefarious things. We don't know if you're using it for horrible, nefarious things, but it should make us nervous because in this industry, traditionally people have used information like that for horrible, nefarious things. So, you know. Yeah, I don't know why the tech industry is so, like, eh, whatever about uh, privacy and personal data like this because, like, it's kind of super common for any sort of tech company to come out and say, like, oh, yeah, we got hacked and we lost the personal information. This was all stolen. And, yeah, uh, we'll give you three months of credit monitoring service. How about that? Is that? Are we cool now? Are you going to be dealing with identity theft issues every day of your life for the next however many decades? Because we lost all your information? Oh, well, you know, there's at the end of that three months, you can sign up for more at a discount. Like, it's, 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 it's really frustrating to me that, um, yeah, that they just don't seem to care. On that delightfully dystopian note, I think that is all the time we have for this week. We will be back next week with more of the latest industry news. 
In the meantime, you can find our previous episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting platforms. And you can get your daily dose of news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. And stop? Sure.